HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're exploring interactions from drug studies in a laboratory. If this effect is as big as he's saying, somebody should have discovered this long before he did. To global wisdom on avoiding hangovers. Beber cerveza antes de tomar vino no previene los Be- síntomas. Beer before wine, you're going to be fine. Wine before beer, you're going to be queer. To the novel recipes developed by an Indian-American family deep in the heart of Texas. And then my mom's sort of coming to America and learning that uh, white parents love to melt cheese on things to get their kids to eat it. She was like, this is genius. (laughs) Be sure to subscribe to Meat in 3. That's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Souther Teague. Uh, Damon Bolte is uh, off gallivanting around the world. I don't know where he's at these days, uh, but we'll carry on without him. Damon, we wish you were here. Please come back home soon. Um, I'm in the studio today on a sunny afternoon in Bushwick, Brooklyn, with my dear friend and colleague, Philip Duff. Welcome to the studio, Philip. It's good to be back, Souther. Yeah. Second, hey, second time you've been in, right? It is. And a lot's changed since then. It was nearly two years ago you were on. Oh, God. It goes so quickly. It does. It does. Uh, well, what have you been up to? <laughs> yeah. No, <that's>... uh, so, <laughs> let's see. Since I was in, I think I had launched Old Duff Geneva then, or I had like a bottle with me, but that's gone out in the whole world and launched in England since then. Right. I, I, I can't recall on the show if we had the bottle, but we definitely talked about it because it was in the works. Um, yeah. But now it's out. We have a couple bottles here on the table. I'll take some photos and put them up on the Speakeasy Podcast uh, Instagram so everyone can see, but everyone should know Old Duff Geneva. Um, and it launched actually at my bar, Coup, uh, uh, which doesn't have a physical space anymore, but we still do some Coup pop-ups where we raise money for charity. But we launched your product at my bar here in New York City. Was that the, also the American launch? Was that, that the, was the global launch. That was the global. September well, 2017. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, fantastic stuff. You want to talk about it? Hell yeah. But I'll take up the whole show. Yeah. So I always wanted to make my own Geneva. lived in Holland for 17 years. And... Um, the thing was, it was sort of like the whiskey business 20 years ago, or even the tequila business 10 years ago. 
everyone was lying like a bastard and they weren't actually making it. Um, I think it's absolutely fine to buy your stuff in, but they were saying they were distilling and they weren't. And I thought, well, we could do a Geneva that's transparent. And then the deeper I got into it, I thought, you know, there's 100% malt wine Geneva, the equivalent to single malt. And like, there's two brands in the world and no one drinks them. I'm like, why don't we give that a go? It's a, it's as crazy as anything else. <laughs> so that's why there's 100% malt wine, Old Dove Geneva. And then there's the uh, regular sort of, you know, luxury blend, as it were, in the green bottle. What is it that made you say to yourself, you know, other than having lived in Holland for a while, you got you, got, you had a bar there, Door 74, are you still involved in that one? Yes. Yeah, so yes. Door 74, world-famous bar. What is it that made you say to yourself, you know what's missing from the back bar is more Geneva. More Gen- uh, it's weird in Holland. People don't drink Geneva. Right. They don't drink Geneva. They don't like Geneva. They don't think it's cool. So I'm like, aha. And I had helped to create the Balls brand, both the liquids and the, the actual brand itself. And I would come to like New York and people would be like, oh my God, like once I came here on a little trip and we'd arranged, I said, look, no sponsors, nothing. I'll just bring some Geneva with me and we'll have like a little tasting in the afternoon at Vendage. Oh yeah, that I famous restaurant. Course, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And like, David, Phil Christian Clark, that was a great spot. Everyone came, like every single bartender you'd ever want to come to a seminar and it wasn't sponsored and people were sitting on the floor and we just passed around a tray with bottles. And that was the first moment when I thought, yeah, people are really into this, so we should do it. And you still feel solid about that. <laughs> like I, I just look at it from the from the vantage point of like I stand behind bars. I've been you know doing that for a long time, and though I am a lover of Geneva, I don't find it to be. It's not a call. It's not a call. No. So you're making a product that you kind of know going in is going to be a tough sell. You know, you had the means and the wherewithal. You'd think you'd make a bourbon. <laughs> True, but the bourbon industry is full of really hardworking people with like tons of money who get up early and work. So I always think the and best way to describe win, you. <laughs> the best way to win is to have no competition. I mean, look, you sell a marrow, so it's the same thing. Sure, no, I picked it's, a hard it's row. Exactly I get it. the same thing. <laughs> I get it. Uh, you know, there's guys out there who pick the hard row. You know, uh, uh, look at the team from uh, like Avoa Cachaça. Like you exactly know, what the world needs is another Cachaça, right? And and let's have an Aquavit made in Brooklyn, which I think we should have. And they're actually making one. They are indeed. God yeah. bless them. Uh, yeah, pick two that are really difficult and go for it. But uh, I, I love that analogy, right? Uh, if you want to win. Pick a pick a pick a pick a category with no competition, and you are winning. It's delicious juice. Let's talk about the the flavor profile of both of them. Um, I know, you know, just from having been around for the launch and having it on my bar, it's actually on my menu currently. Uh, the malt wine is just two botanicals, right? That's right. The hundred percent malt wine just has uh, rambling hops and English, ju- uh, of course, juniper. juniper, right? But there's six in the other one. What's that one got going on in it? Uh, yeah, so it's got. Juniper, and then three citrus botanicals, so orange, lemon, and coriander. And then it finishes off with a tiny bit of star anise and licorice. But really, with Geneva, as you know, the mode of comparison, the frame of reference, is whiskey. Because this is what, Geneva is what whiskey was before it was whiskey. Originally, everything was grain distilled. It had little bits of, you know, botanicals in it. It's heritage from being medicinal, and people were trying to make it. Uh, consistent and back in the day whiskey wasn't aged the difference was whiskey eventually took the botanicals out and put the stuff in barrels and Geneva never did so it's like this incredible dinosaur it's like Jurassic Park yeah I totally get that when you smell especially the the, the single malt it the aroma is is you know uh, one of the things we say in the south it smells like chicken food which means it's just a bunch of grains it's grain like yeah. it's totally grain it smells way way closer to whiskey than it does to gin and I think the common misconception is that Jennifer's sort of the grandfather of gin, 
but it's really the grandfather of whiskey, right? Yeah, it's the great, 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 great grandfather of gin, but it's the great grandfather of whiskey. Right. Like eventually, um, when they tried to make Geneva in England, they didn't really know how to distill. And obviously, if you don't know how to distill, you can't make good whiskey. That means you can't make good Geneva. So what they did was they loaded up the still with literally 10 or 20 times more botanicals to cover up their crappy distilling method. Then they put in some sugar. And eventually that led to what we know as gin, which is a magical invention. But, you know, comparing gin to Geneva is like comparing Paris Hilton to Conrad Hilton. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, well, it's great stuff. Uh, uh, I love it. Uh, uh, let's drink some. What, let's do it. What, what are you going to make for us? Um, should we have a little tasting first? Just to yeah, sort of, absolutely. Yeah, let's do that. I got some glasses over there. Glass glasses. Glass glasses, courtesy glass. of Roberta's. That's yeah. right. Thank you, Roberta's. Totally awesome. Super awesome. So you're pouring for us the luxury blend, as you called it, um, and that's the. What, so what? What does that mean exactly? When so, you say when you say the difference between your single malt and your blend, you know. So if this was edify my listeners. So I think we all know what single malt is. Um, no neutral alcohol. This is a luxury blend. So forty-seven percent of it is neutral wheat spirit. Fifty-three percent of it is that lovely malt, and the malt, as we call it in Geneva, we call it malt wine. There's no grapes, no wine in it, but the malt wine, the distillate, is made from a mash of two thirds rye and one third barley. Ask me why it's two thirds rye. Why is it two-thirds rye, I Phil? just like rye, and rye is cool. <laughs> and also, I like driving my poor distiller, Odd van der Lee, completely crazy. So it's rye's a years. real motherfucker to distill, it right? It is such such a bitch. The man, Sticky. at the end, he I don't think he wanted to answer the phone when I called him. It takes five days to ferment, so you get enough fermentable sugars. And getting the yield right is key. I would be getting samples from him. And he'd say, yeah, the yield isn't right. The yield isn't right. And I was here in New York like Daddy Warbucks. I'm like, don't worry. We'll just use more and I'll charge an extra dollar. And he said, no, yield is quality. Right. And that's it. So two-thirds rye, one-third barley, five-day fermentation, three times through the pot still. And then you have the base and you take six tiny portions of that and you put, you redistill them with tiny amounts of botanicals. How tiny? one-tenth as much as you would use for even one of the less characterful gins. You know the gin that doesn't taste like gin? Right. One-tenth of that. Wow. It's there. It's like the dash of bitters in an old-fashioned. That's what it's like. So if you have a little nose and a taste. The nose is, is as mentioned before, chicken food. You know, I definitely smell grains. There's a, bit of, there's a bit of citrus there. Citrus is uh, quite pleasant. Yeah, a little bit latent though, right? So like if you sat this in, in front of me right away, I'd say, oh, look, a white whiskey. But then I smell that citrus coming in on the back. Yeah, and then you get some, um, the juniper is kind of aromatic here. And you finish off with a kind of a characteristic sweetness. And that's the anise and the licorice. Yeah. So this is sort of like an 1800s style Geneva. This is like, you know, from say 1880 up to Prohibition when Geneva started dying off. This is what it was. It dominated world trade. In the high days yeah, of Jerry well, Thomas. Wonder, Wonderich wrote something about how Geneva was the number one selling spirit, beating, beating everything else combined. Yeah, it was absurd. For, for like a lengthy amount of time. This was a, it had an a, extremely a long, reign. long run. Yeah, exactly. And everywhere, like Argentina is the most Geneva drinking nation in the world outside okay. of Europe to this day. Oh, wow. And... It dominated Australia. It was what you drank if you were a Vanderbilt. The eighth president of the USA, Martin Van Buren, drank so much he was nicknamed Old Blue Nose. The first ever distillery in America 
was a Geneva distillery on Staten Island in 1661, when it was the colony of New Amsterdam. And what they would have been drinking or trying to make there was this. So this is your real, we're going to taste now, it's the unicorn, you know it. Of all the Genevers, 100% malt wine is the uh, the least drunk one. I'm fairly sure we could get all the consistent drinkers of 100% malt wine in here at Roberta's, and we probably wouldn't have to use the garden either. Um, this is only the third in the world that has this paper label called the Seal of Schiedam that means it's made exactly like it was in 1902. No neutral alcohol, only pot stills between 43 and 48% alcohol, and obviously made in Schiedam. The distillery makes one more brand of it, their own one, and the Geneva Museum makes one as well. And I am very proud to say that with the support of people like you and the New York community, that this is the best-selling 100% malt wine Geneva in the world now. Which means we sold a bit over a thousand bottles, but still, still, the th- a thousand bottles makes you the best selling. I think a thousand and one made us the best selling. So I don't know if you want to pour that in the pot plant or something like that. We're gonna have to reuse the glass. It's not. It's not quite so fancy here. And uh, there we go. Good man. I have uh, the rest of the day off, this, just for, which is unusual. Normally, you have to race out of here and go right to work. Yeah. So now you're drinking something that was Geneva. That now, now you're drinking something that was Geneva from. It's invention right up until 1880. So this was the very, very high quality single malt stuff. They were late to adopt neutral alcohol. And when you taste this, you nose it. Full on whiskey. Yeah. Rye whiskey. 100%. Would qualify as a straight rye whiskey, yeah. were it not for the botanicals. And tiny amount of juniper. The juniper here is fruity, like the fruitiness you get from a wood barrel. And you don't really pick up on the hops. The hops are there to tame the rye. But I can assure you they're very important. I believe everything you say, just mo- mostly because of your accent. Uh, I've got my parents to thank for that. Mm. Yeah, it's outstanding. Uh, and being, uh, so this, this is the thing, I think. This is the, the, you know, the, the audience that I think you should reach for, in my opinion, is whiskey drinkers. I'm a huge whiskey drinker, and I love Geneva, and I really like yours because it speaks to that whiskey that I love, right? Yeah. Like it, this seems the crossover. This is this is where you can rope in your audience. Well, this is it. That's. Are you thing. listening out there? Buy some Geneva. Buy Geneva. Yeah. Now, look, I think I was a tremendous privilege to work with Balls, and I'm a cheerleader for all Genevers everywhere, and I know the other producers, people who make stuff at my distillery, um, the big names. There's even Geneva's being made in America. I tasted quite a nice American Geneva last year at the American Distilling Institute um, competition. And the one thing we've all got to get away from is the, oh, hey, do you like gin? You like Geneva? No. Wrong. That's like saying, you know, do you like can openers? Well, here's a chainsaw. Yeah. You know, just, it's. I, I happen to like gin. I love gin, actually. I'm a member, same. member of the Gin Guild. That's right. But it's just... Yeah, really far uh, apart from one another. Um and I think that, that again, it's it's all just because of that juniper. People will just people want to pigeonhole things and put them in a box and 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 just identify with something. So they say, oh, Jennifer is the 
oh, it's the predecessor to Jim. I, I, I think I fell into that trap in my earlier days. You know, when, what year was it when, when Bulls was launched here in New York? 2008. I think I was working, I know, actually, I was working at, uh, working for Grey Coons at Grey's, uh, Cafe Grey, which one? One or the other. And Bulls came, and we were, we were known for having a lot of gins on the bar. And, and I remember the bar manager there, a guy named Barry, nice guy, um, he was very <clears throat> excited to get the Bulls Jennifer in because he was like, it's the grandfather of gin. And like, so that's the speak that I kind of learned at that time and was like, but it still didn't fit. You know, it didn't make sense to me. It's a great Geneva. And I liked it. I kept saying yeah. to myself, I really like this, but I don't see that connection. Right. They just can't, unfortunately, as you know, there's just a crazy gin boom going on around the world. It hasn't even hit America yet. The gin boom has not hit. When it does, we will be drowning in gin. If you look at Japan, Ireland, Holland, Belgium, England, mm. they're all, you know, like Spain 10 years ago. We're talking so much. Irish gin exports increased 200% last year. Wow. Like, Irish people drink more gin than whiskey now. So... And what's happening is in every room full of marketing MBAs, and I'm not a hater, I have a marketing degree myself, somebody will say in the room, you know what, we should go after gin drinkers. It is the grandfather of gin after all. And the people who think it's a stupid idea won't speak up because that's the nature of of meeting rooms, you know, that's how Enron happened. Right. You know, and everyone else will go, oh, dude, yeah, that's great. It's amazing. Let's do it. And then... You know, like Geneva companies in America have done horrifically poorly. That's another thing. Um, Ten years after being involved in some of the biggest Genevas in the world, they aren't selling in America, and they should be. Like, Old Duff is is tremendous support from everybody. We're going to announce U.S. distribution very soon, like throughout the whole country, not just New York. Outstanding. And we'll we'll become the best-selling Geneva, but I'd like to be, you know, the best-selling in a group of other best-selling ones. Right, you need right. You more. want the high tide to come you up know, with everybody. Del McGay, we we say old Duff is the Del McGay of Geneva's. Del McGay needs a Pierre de Almas and a Vago and a El Yolgorio. You know, it needs. You need a healthy ecosystem. You can't have just one bar on Sixth and A. Correct. You got to have three in the same building. That's right. <laughs> no ve- vegan barbecue. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, come on down to Honeybee. We'll have some Geneva for you to taste. Honeybee, because it's because it's more like whiskey than gin, and that's what we're doing is whiskey. Close. Um, so, uh, all right, great. Let's mix up a mar- Martinez, or as you say in your charming accent, Martinez. Indeed. Um, and then uh, uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come right back to hear more from Philip Duff. We're going to talk about Tales of the Cocktail. We're going to talk about Barb Convent Brooklyn. We're going to talk about you traveling the world. We'll be right back in just a few minutes. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. George's son was the famous publisher, William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. Thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, 
The working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. I'm Patrick Martins. I'm Brandon Hoy. And I'm Emily Pearson. Together we host The Main Course OG, where we cover food news and culture. Browse episodes of The Main Course OG wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. And we are back uh, at the Speakeasy uh, Heritage Radio Network right here in uh, beautiful Bushwick, Brooklyn, hanging out in the back of Roberta's Pizza. Philip Duff, uh, man of mystery, is pouring us some Martinez cocktails made with uh, Old Duff Geneva. Uh, I see that you poured us a half size. <laughs> it's a giant cocktail, Phil. I did? Well, actually, yeah. Wild, you're heavy handed. No, we each have one and a half. I guess we should give some to our sound engineer as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let's, uh, <laughs> Let's uh, uh, share the love. We need another glass. Glass. Yeah. No. Um, Matt, bring us a glass. You can have some of this. What I thought we should have is a brilliant version of a Martinez. And this is the one made at the multi-award winning uh, World's 50 Best Bars, etc. Bar, um, Cafe Dante on McDougal Street here in New York. Dante. Love it. Um, uh, one of my favorite places to go get uh, uh, lunch and an aperitif. And spectacular food as well. Yeah. It's I mean, occasionally you have to sit next to Naren Young, but, you know, you can't have everything. Every, so, yeah, every, yeah, every bar has its faults. Every bar has its faults. Uh, <laughs> love love <laughs> Naren. He's great. Um, so, yeah, uh, this is the exact one that's on their menu, using your stuff. And, and? the uh, updated Martinez recipe. So it's up for debate. Essentially, the Martinez was an early Manhattan. But uh, at Dante, they go the other route. They twist it around, so it's one ounce of Old Duff and two ounces of sweet vermouth, a spoon or so of maraschino, and three dashes of Boker's bitters. So what we got in here is something special. We have the Bogart's bitters. Mm-hmm. Foreign listeners, we are currently on Bogart Street in Brooklyn. That's true. Uh, the Bogart's bitters um, is the kind of fun original misspelling Research was done by Jane Boudreau in Canon in Seattle, and it's produced by The Bitter Truth. It's a remarkable, incredible Boker's Bitters. Mm-hmm. So a bit of that. And some vermouth from our friends at Otto's Athens Vermouth. So you've probably heard of them and their bar, The Clumsies, one right. of the most famous new bars in Greece. And they also have a vermouthiri, a vermouth bar, for which they make a special vermouth. They only use their, it's like their house vermouth, the Odori, that we see here. So I thought it'd be nice for us to try it. And I'll probably roll by Dante one of these days and drop it off so they can try it. So we're having a really cool version of the Cafe Dante Martinez. So uh, cheers, Southern. Cheers to you, buddy. And this, is this made with the single malt or the... Uh, no, this is made with the regular stuff, the uh, old stuff. The blend. It's delightful. And I love, you know, again, the Martinez. Similar, that is really good. Yeah, yeah. Similarly, uh, uh, you know, it was made with this. It's definitely more like a Manhattan. I'm, I'm loving that it's a... Uh, you know, the vermouth is the strong suit here. It's got a lot of, like, cinnamon and slightly grapefruity notes coming through. Yeah, it's fresh, isn't it? It's Well, that's what they do over there. I love that their whole program is built on, like, making drinks that are very aperitifi and you can hang out and drink. You know, it's very European. I know that's that sounds... It's foreign to me, but it's normal to you. <clears throat> I wish that... We well, could... I'm from the frozen north where, you know, you've got what they call the grain belt and the grape belt. So right. if you imagine a horizontal line above France, above that... It's everybody is descended from Vikings. You know, it's all like death and violence and pillaging and drinking your enemy's blood from a horn. And below that line 
it's the grape belt where everybody has wine and aperitifs and you sit outside at a little cafe and the children run around and the women wear sundresses and all that. Yeah, I'm, that's not where I'm from. I'm from the, you know, the Game of Thrones place. The cold Game of Thrones place. Sure. <laughs> I guess it's the weather that influences the, the attitude. Um, so yeah, I thought that's nice. That's, that's a nice. This drink. is delightful. Mm-hmm. It's uh, you know I was getting a little nervous that we were going to have a big belt at this hour, um, and it happened. <laughs> well, no, but I think this is a lot softer than I was expecting to come across. It's quite delicious. Thank you. Um, so let's talk about some other stuff. You have your hand in a lot of pies, not just uh, uh, the spirits making, um, but you're all about spirits education, and you have been for quite some time. Um, until very recently, you were the the first uh, ever um, education director for Tales of the Cocktail, the, probably the world's largest uh, uh, cocktail convention. You held that post for, what, almost 10 years? Uh, I was on the committee for two years, and then I was the director of education for six or seven, so yeah. close enough. Close enough. Um, and you just stepped down from that because you wanted to sort of make way for the new guard? Is that, is that what I understood from the, from the post you put out? To be honest, I'd been doing it for a very long time, and I felt we really needed to have more voices involved in it. I always try to be as even-handed and impartial as I could be. But with the new ownership of Tales of the Cocktail, Tales 2.0 as we call it, it was an opportunity to sort of reboot everything. So right after they had assumed formal ownership in February of last year, I promised the new owners, Neil Bodenheimer and Gary Solomon Jr., that I would deliver them two more full tales, the tales on tour and a tales, the slate of seminars. And then I wanted to move on so that education could get better and selfishly that I could find some more time to do other things. So, and they accepted that. Um, they were extremely gracious about it. And a co- only a couple of weeks ago, I hit send, sent the slate of seminars for this year's tales right. to the board of Tales of the Cocktail and then I hit publish on my Facebook posts, and that was it. I'm, I'm a free man. But you'll still be you'll you'll be there, yeah. I will be teaching a seminar. I will always go to Tales, and I'll be uh, ensuring that my clients, liquor brands, go there. It remains the largest, and I think educationally the best cocktail festival in the world. And on the new footing it is on, I mean, it gives away. Last year, it gave away a quarter of a million dollars, yeah. and I don't think. It's any secret to say that Tails didn't make a quarter of a million last year. That came from the Solomon Foundation. So that's just some of an example of the tremendous commitment they have moving forward for our industry. Yeah. I'm really pleased and excited about everything that's going on with Tales of the Cocktail. I went, I've been many years in a row, I think nine. I think I went eight out of nine. I missed one in there somewhere. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I used to live in New Orleans, so it's a great chance for me to go home and visit old friends. But this was easily, for me, the best Tales of Cocktail experience. Just some new approaches. It seemed like uh, uh, it seemed like everything was a little bit more. Uh, um, I don't know. Everything seemed strangely more controlled yet more relaxed, mm. right? Um, and and I had really a wonderful time at the seminars that I attended, the ones that I spoke at, um, and then I got to go over to the, um, you know, the, the what's it called again, the New Orleans uh, Athletic Club. Yeah, the Beyond the Bar space. Right. That was amazing. Like it was, it was, was a great. lot of inclusivity and. You know, we talked about, you know, mental health issues and we, we were getting healthy by having yoga classes in the morning. It was great. It was a really great experience. And I, I look forward to everything that the new foundation is going to do for Tales of the Cocktail. And I love Neil. He's a great dude, too. Um, so you've left that, <clears throat> which frees up your time to do what it is you do most, which is basically travel the world and live on a jet. 
That's it, mostly. Although there'll be a big announcement in May that I'll be taking on another um, major role contributing, giving back to our community because I'm an idiot. I'm not as silly as you. You do, you do too much. Yeah, well. But uh, I did have this idea, like, it's like, oh, the tail stuff is done. But most of the work is actually between November and February anyway. <laughs> so right. I, uh, it's expanded a lot. I'm doing, I'm about to ship out on Saturday and I'm going to spend all of April on the road. So let's see, we're doing London, Paris, Barcelona, Madrid, Milan, Mumbai. That's three M's in a row. And Moscow, four in a row. Uh, And then Kiev. Just, you know, why not? For the chicken. Yeah, that's it. Uh, They do actually have really good chicken, Kiev. Kiev. (laughs) Uh, And then I'm home for a week. And then I am shipping out to the Asia's 50 Best Bars Mm -hmm. ceremony in Singapore, which is also the start of Singapore Cocktail Week. Many, many friends of yours and mine there. Then I will be tootling around Hong Kong, China, and Australia, because in each country we will be doing more or less the launch of Old Duff Geneva. So, All of that's just for Old Duff. No, the first month is actually for one of my favorite clients, um, Beluga Vodka, the best-selling right. luxury vodka in Russia. And they have a contest, a bartender contest. And I'm a really tough person to deal with. So my clients have to really love me and I have to love them. I only have five clients at a time. That's it, you know, and I do admin on Saturday morning. So they have a contest and I'm like, oh, contests are a pain in the arse. Yeah. So, you know, as a bartender, you have to enter, you have to do this, do that, go here, do that, enter a contest. They make you work and work and work and work and work. And at the end, one person wins. And it's probably not you. So we redesigned this one that if you enter, just enter, just like sign up online. You get to come to a private day of seminars. No one else can come. Only you can go there. The seminars won't be repeated at Tales of the Cocktail or BCB or anything. And it's people like me, Nico DeSoto, Alex Cretana, Eric Lawrence, this year, Marion A bunch of nobodies. Yeah, losers. (laughs) Um, And, you know, we have, you know, vodka caviar pairings. We have a big dinner in the evening. And after that, it's like, okay, you know, you're in our world now. We love you. We know you. If you want to continue with the contest, that's great. If you want to, like, quit now, that's great. So that's what I'm doing in all those countries in April. It's such a cool gig. That is outstanding. Talk to me a little bit more about Liquid Solutions, which is the name of your company that has five clients at a time. What what, what exactly do you do for people, and and how has that uh, propelled you to the status that you hold? Well, an old friend of mine, uh, Tobin Ellis, he's such an old friend that I knew him when he was named Toby, he, he, I heard him advising somebody once about consulting. He's like, just be their bartender talking about your clients. And really, that's what I am. So, you know the way a customer comes into your bar and they don't know where the restroom is or how it works or sit down or if you come over. Well, your job is to relax them and reassure them and get to where they need to go. Right. Right? So if they want to relax and have a cocktail, they want to look good in front of their friends, whatever, that's it. And that's what I do for liquor brands. I am their friendly bartender to make sure that the products they develop are going to work right out of the gate. So I do new product developments. I help to create Balls Geneva, for instance, that one best new product that sells the cocktail. Um, I do education programs. And a lot of the work that I do is not public, but I'm actually creating education for the staff because they don't know their own history or product or comparatives. And they're saying things like, I oh, I think that's important. We're the best. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, yeah, you might not be the best. Um, but I will find another hook. 
So, for instance, Beluga Vodka is rested for between 30 and 120 days. They didn't really emphasize that a whole lot. They were all about, the, oh, we are premium, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, that's that's really interesting. So we actually got the female distiller, flew her over to America. We toured around through a translator. I learned what resting in stainless steel really went because they go deep into the science. And now that's the thing that we communicate because it's a, it's a unique thing almost about Beluga. So I do stuff like that. And then... Like simple stuff, like I will run the contest, I will, you know, teach the seminars, all that sort of thing. So that's a a big chunk of what I do, and I, I love my work. It's fantastic. When you work it's with the right clients, you love it's it. the best. Like, it's obvious that you love it. Uh, every time I see you and talk to you or see you while you're working, it's you are, um, I don't know, you're already a pretty charming and charismatic fellow, but when, when you're working, you're like on. And I, I see it. I think everyone sees it. You're very infectious. I'm sure that your clients see and understand that too. And that's I, it's, it's the best job in the world. That's why you're constantly getting paid. That's it. Well, the thing is, I wasn't just the first director of education for Tales the Cocktail. I actually invented that job title. There was nobody before me. And I invented it for a very simple reason. When you invent your job title, nobody can determine your salary scale except you. <laughs> so anyone listening out there, director of education, it's officially done. You you now have to be you know uh, the czar of advocacy or you know the 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 emperor of engagement. That's pretty good. I want that one. Don't take that one. I think uh, I think so far we've learned two important things from Philip Duff today. One is uh, um, uh, it's easy to win if there's no competition. Boom. <laughs> and two Boom. is uh, create your own job title and decide your own salary. Watch out, John Taffer. Yeah, I'm going to be on Spike TV <laughs> before you know it. That butt funnel's going down. Yeah. Uh, amazing. Um, so uh, the first leg of your trip is going to be all the Beluga stuff. And then what's the second leg? You said Singapore, uh, you're going over there to just to go to 50 Best, or you have something to do while you're there? Yes. So all those will be launches of Old Duff Geneva. Oh, right. I will. Uh, yeah, why not? I'll be talking to an old friend who now has a Cuban rum brand. So obviously, if we go ahead and do some work together... I will be doing work everywhere in the world except the USA, mm-hmm. um, which might sound weird to Americans, but Cuban rum is a big thing, and there is more than just one. Yeah. So it's opened up. Um, not many people know the Havana Club actually had a monopoly on mm-hmm. Cuban rum for 20 years, but it expired several years ago. So now there's all these other ones. There's a great new brand that this friend of mine is involved with, and she'd like me to come on and do everything from helping them get it right out of the gate so it's the right price and it's not stupid targeting and all that kind of thing to, you know, the more traditional education stuff. So we're having some meetings there. And I get to go back to Australia, which I love. Yeah. I was out drinking with my friend uh, Max Greco from Australia last night. Australia's brilliant. I've never been, but I might be going uh, later in July. Oh, yeah. Um, I have an opportunity to go to New Zealand. And while I'm in New Zealand, I may pop over to Australia. New Zealand? Yeah. Never been. Normally it's the other way. The you, go to, you go to Australia, then you pop to New Zealand. Well, the New Zealand Tourist Board has uh, uh, gotten themselves affiliated with some bars, and the bars want me to come over and do a Moria Margo and talk bitters and hospitality, but the New Zealand Tourist Board is, is paying for it all. You know what's better than money from a liquor brand? Money from the country. Money from the government, man. <laughs> government Federal money. dollars. Getting that government cheese. Federal dollars, buddy. Yeah, so... They're going to pay on time. That's amazing. Yeah, it's going to be pretty cool, and uh, I hope to... Uh, you know, sort of parlay that into a trip to Australia as well, since we're halfway around the world. Seriously, well. you can't get there without stopping. Yeah, yeah, right. It would be stupid um, to take all that travel. What, uh, what, what, if any, is your uh, hand in, in BCB? You doing anything with them? 
I am, actually. I um, that's, that's fast approaching us, right? It is here in Brooklyn. And you probably remember Phil Collins, bless him, um, was the only performer who performed at Live Aid London and New York or Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. You know, he flew over on the Concorde. Well, in a very modest way, I am going to be the Phil Collins of BCB because I will be teaching seminars at uh, Berlin, Brooklyn and Brazil. Oh, wow. Year. So I'm doing the, the trifecta, as it were. And you're Philip Duff, and you'll be serving your old Duff Geneva Collins. It'll be the Phil Collins tour. It will tour. be the Phil Collins tour. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually really stoked in Brooklyn here, I think for listeners. You don't know, we didn't have any kind of a bar show in New York for six years. Right. Until uh, BC Brooklyn last year. So we're very excited, right? Yeah, oh, yeah very much. Uh, and it was. Here's the funny part, though. Right, we didn't have anything since... Uh, um, uh, what was it called? I forgot. No, I forgot. The Manhattan, Manhattan Classic. 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 Since it sort of shuttered, we haven't had anything here in, in kind of the city that's sort of the hub of cocktails, right? Um, and then this year, along came BCB, and I, it's only a three-day, it's really a two-day thing, but kind of a three-day thing, and I booked myself nine events. So I worked nine events in those three days and didn't get to go to any of the BCB. So this year, I'm just going to go. I want to go and enjoy it, see some seminars, do the thing. Because uh, last year I, I worked it all. But it was tons of fun to work it because so many people were in from all over the world and we did a bunch of great events and it was outstanding. But And, and you make money. I made it's money. Very, yeah. No, that's very, very important. So I'll be... Um, but I felt for the first time like, oh man, this is how you know Chris Hanna feels during Tales, right? Because he's oh, just working the whole week. Times right? a thousand. Uh, so that's, uh, you know, again, I was doing basically three events a day for the three days. And, uh, and you know what's wrong with that? Nothing. Nothing. No, so I will be doing a very cool... Uh, discussion seminar on stage should pop-up bars pop off, right? So I don't know about you. I've been to so many supposed pop-up events and they're a shit show. Everything's pre-batched. The bartender's drunk. You know, the space has room for 100 people. They put 400 in there. No one's talking. They're just Instagramming their drinks. You know, and then the other side, you have the dead rabbit. They popped up at Claridge's in London. Mm -hmm. Claridge's spent... $80,000 $80,000 recreating the dead rabbit upstairs and downstairs to the sawdust on the floor. Mm. And in a week in August in London, when it's normally empty, they took $140,000. Right. That is a pop-up. So I have two people arguing it and me as well. So I have Gillian Vos, uh, beverage director of Blacktail and Dead Rabbit, mm-hmm. and um, our favorite local grumpy old man, Toby Chikini Eb- okay. of Long Island Bar. <laughs> I was, I was, no, Evan Freeman wasn't available. I was going to say Evan yeah. Freeman. <laughs> <laughs> if Toby's not available, you call Evan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so she's pro and he's con. Uh, not exactly. They both have a balanced point of view, but yes. I um, well, that's why I'm going to New Zealand. So I'm curious to hear hear what people think about pop up bars. I've never really done it. You know, we did um, we did uh, Iceland Bar Summit, uh, which is a stage show. You know, uh, 30 bars from all over the world literally get up on a stage and set up the yep. bar in front of judges. And uh, you do literally a 30-minute service in front of judges to show what your bar does. We did that. And we had a great time. Um, but then we did um, uh, AYA Go South, the Maury Margo Go South. We took over six bars in six different cities in the South just for one night each uh, mm-hmm. uh, over the course of a summer, uh, six Sundays in a row. Um and those were tons of fun, and we, we, we kind of mimicked what we had done at Iceland, which was we didn't try and, you know, to bring a thousand miniature, you know, tinctures, bottles of bitters, or, or, or even all the Amaros that we bring. We didn't try to do any of that. What we did is we, did, we took a life-size photographs of the bar and just hung them on the back bar. <laughs> 
so it looked like the bar. No, but that's a huge. The first person I ever saw who did that is one of the senior cocktail apprentices at Tales, Trevor Callies. Mm. And he was a finalist in the world finals of the G-Vine Gin Contest I used to run. And it had that same thing that you had to have the last night, we threw a huge party and every bartender manned their own bar and guests voted with uh, tokens. And he brought a life-size you know, photo wall of his back bar from Vancouver. Yeah. And he, he hung it behind his bar and it was like being at his bar. It was so clever. Yeah, that's what we did. And and, and it, people resonated with it right away. And yeah, you bet your ass a lot of uh, a lot of Instagram photos were taken and stuff like that. I think I would be on the on the pro side because even if it's packed and even if it's quiet and people are just taking the photos, you're getting to take to them the thing that maybe they can't afford to come see you, you know? My bar's tiny and it's only in New York. And if you can't make it here, then I'll bring it to you sometimes. But I suppose I, my biggest thing is that they pack, you know, they allow the room to get more crowded than you will ever allow your bar to become. Sure, right. Right. So you don't get the feeling. Right. But I That's know, so, you know, we've been already talking a little bit about uh, Naren Young. Like, I know he pops up Dante, like, kind of constantly, right? He's, he's always on the road. Um, there's always a, a Dante pop-up happening. But he does it a month at a time, right? He takes over a bar for a month at a time. So he does basically 12 a year. Did you know this? It's it, it, I've seen it happening, and it's a smart thing to do. Like, there's a lot of um, the Seagram's brand in Spain was doing that. You know, like they would take any New York bar. I th- at this stage, I think it's almost every New York bar mm-hmm. has gone over there, and you do a one month residency, right? And I think what they called you know the American Hotel, mm-hmm. and and you would take over the bar, and you've got like time then to develop and decor and stuff like that. I don't mind a guest bartender, and I don't mind a pop up, right? Um, I, it's when the lines get blurred. I feel. Yeah, I feel like uh, there needs to be more clarification of which is which. You know, uh, um, Max Green and Blake Walker of Amoria Margo just went to Moscow to a, a brand new bar over there that's called Tourists. And Tourists has two bars um, side by side. And the one bar is their daily bar, right? Their, their, their bar. The other bar is always a tourist. It's always uh, a bar from elsewhere. So, so the, the guests aren't the tourists. It's the bar that's the tourist. That's so cool. So they were three nights uh, in a row of, of Amori Margo style drinks. They didn't dress the place to look like a more, but it was just them doing the drinks at the tourist bar, which I thought was great. And it was a great opportunity for, for us to get our name to a place that maybe had never heard of us and a great opportunity for that bar to host someone cool. We're, we're pretty cool. You can, you can hook in the, the cool, you know, Amaro drinking Russian demographic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, hanging out in there. Amaro drinking Russians with visas to visit New York. That's like a... <laughs> yeah, we're really getting uh, fine-lined with our, uh, uh, you know, approach to marketing. Um, well, what else? Uh, I mean, that's a ton of stuff that you have going. And a bit of writing as well. I love writing. Yeah, well, who are you writing for these days? So I write for um, Drinks International. So I have a monthly yep. column mm-hmm. and I write... You know, probably six specials a year on things like I just wrote one on herbal bitters. I asked you for research, vermouth, limoncello, cream liqueurs. I quite like that deep dive. And every now and then, I'll write something for 750daily.com. It's mm. a tremendous uh, publication as part of the sort of uh, liquor listing service website. Yeah, thing. of course. Yeah, 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 that's that's a ton of fun. Uh, and how did you get into that? I always did a lot of writing. Or? No, I always did a lot of writing. I used to have a column. In Australian Bartender magazine, I used to write a lot for uh, Simon Difference Class magazine. Sure. Um, Angus Winchester, believe it or not, had a brief career as a writer and an editor. And I used to write a column for a magazine he ran. And I've always enjoyed it. It's just like, holy shit, writing is so badly paid. 
Yeah. Like, uh, you uh, know, wow. And obviously I'd like to develop it a bit more, but I just like having a bit of a, a pulpit and an outlet and... Uh, yeah, a pulpit. That's the right word for you. You're you're the type of guy who likes to get into stuff with people. I do, uh, and I think it's healthy. You're 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 good at debate. I love uh, getting into challenging conversations with you, or watching you get into these challenging conversations on on the internet, Facebook, etc. I see you you go at people, and sometimes I think to myself, I don't even think he really cares about this. He's just going at this guy. <laughs> I mean, look, uh, one thing that's happening, I was having a discussion on Facebook. If you can have a discussion on Facebook, somebody recently, somebody who's really cool, and somebody I know personally in real life, and this person is like, oh my God, why are you being so aggressive and all that? I'm like, this, this is like a polite debate. I wasn't, to be clear, being aggressive. This person, who is, you know, a mid-30s educated person, I think has never had people disagree with that person online before. So right. they don't have the experience. I'm used to, you know, people disagree in real life online. You talk about it. But there is, I think, a demographic of people coming up now. And they're just not used to being disagreed with. Either you're with them or you're like the worst thing in the world. That's it. There's no in between. There's no like, well, he's my buddy. We don't agree on that. No, it doesn't exist. So this person would get so upset and say, oh, you know, it's just too much emotional labor to, you know, keep debating this with you. I'm like, what? This is like, we're talking. It's, like, it's too aggressive. I'm like, where? No, this is, we're just talking. You don't, you, you're out of practice. It's, you know, to me, debate um, and, and more precious things like free speech, it's like the gym. You got to go and lift the weights. Yeah. You can't take the weights out of the gym. <laughs> got to do the work. Got to do the work. Yeah, you got to go get it done. Um, you do, a t uh, yeah. Well, let's talk about. You got some other bottles on the table here. What, do you, what, what's your hand in the new Fee Brothers flavors? Or no, sorry, Fee, uh, Fever Tree. Fever yeah. Tree. Nothing at all, except I was invited to a party by the magnificent uh, Hannah Lee recently at the equally magnificent new edition Times Square Hotel. Oh yeah. So my buddy Davide Sagat is the global beverage champ for them, and like every global beverage director, he wasn't actually there at the launch, but um, <laughs> they had a huge event with Fever Tree because Fever Tree. We all know it. It's the fastest growing, you know, gourmet uh, mixer and alternative to all the crappy corn syrup ones out there. And the new president, Charles Gibb, is somebody that I know. He used to be the president of Belvedere Vodka. And they've brought out these new innovations. They're like, well, you know, there's ginger ale. But they also have a smoky ginger ale and a spiced orange ginger ale. So they don't employ me or anything like that. It was just a goodie bag they gave us. And I was running out of the house this morning. I'm like, you know what? It'd be nice to try those. We'll try them with, you know, a Geneva because, you know, because that's what we've got. Anything because that's what we got. Um, and I, I thought, you know, why don't we give it a go? Should yeah, let's do, do it. Yeah. Crack them open. Do you have a, it looks like they need a bottle opener or can you, uh, yeah, you can do it. There you go. Any old tool will do in a pinch. Might like be too old to cut the mustard, but I can still lick the jar. Hey, I don't know what any of that means. Um, <laughs> whoa. whoa. Okay. That one's lively. Uh. Um, and you got some tall glasses over there. We do. Uh, or you want to use these short ones, it's fine. Yeah. So I'll give you uh, I want to try the smoked one. Yeah, I'll give you a taste. Let's have a taste of the smoky one, just straight. I kind of see what they're talking about. Something like mesquite hickory kind oh, of Oh, yeah. Thing. Right? Yeah, it smells like a barbecue. Oh, I love it. Wow. I really it's not, love it. It's not a lot. And it's, it's a gorgeous um, little bottle. I think they also have a new low sugar ginger ale or something like that. 
as well. I think I seem to think there was three. That is really good. Fever will, tree, smoky. We will try ale. the spiced orange, which, and I'm just reading the label, says uh, spicy ginger, clementine, and cinnamon. All right. All right. What do you get? Ooh. Oh, it's really bright. Let's drink some with some Geneva. You know, it's a funny thing. Yeah, we have some right handy. Now, the clementine there is very nice, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, I think I'm more partial to the smoky one. Um, while you're uh, jarring us up some drinks there, uh, <laughs> no one can see you. It's the radio. No one can see you in space. That's right. Um, tell me about all those travels. You get to go to a lot of places that some of us, including me, will never, ever get to go to. Uh, what's uh, what's one of your favorite experiences at a bar or a restaurant or anything? What, tell me one of the favorite things you've ever done in all this travel. Because you've been to nearly every country on the planet at this point. Yeah, except for New Zealand and North Korea uh, at this stage. I'm going to beat you to New Zealand? You are. Yeah. Outstanding. Never been to New Zealand. Never been to New Zealand. Um, although I might have to go now. You know, there's the cliche, all you want is, you know, a welcoming hand, a warm smile, a nice seat. But... You know, being on top of the Marina Bay, the Marina Bay Sands in Singapore, mm-hmm. it's this incredible sort of like you know, three stand gate type thing. You see it in all the photos of Singapore, and at the top of the place, like many places, it's kind of a tourist trap. But you're just so far up, you're looking out over it. People are happy; they're having drinks. You're just like, holy shit, this is amazing. You yeah, know? How far up there are you in that one? I don't know. It feels like a mile. You know, it's like a Vegas skyscraper or something. I think I'm going to go with the the single malt and that smoky. I see you're going for the other one. Let's do it. So hit me with that smoke. I got you. You know, there's a bar called uh, Frank, a speakeasy in Buenos Aires. It's extremely cool. We spent two years doing um, the pop-up Tales on Tour in Buenos Aires that I just absolutely adore. Mm. Oh yeah, this is good. I suppose what I like is people who are relaxed enough that they can concentrate on hospitality. Because increasingly, you can get the tools, you can get the bottles, uh, to some degree you can get the people everywhere in the world. But if you're just focused on being the world's best bar instead of being a friendly, welcoming bar... For a lot of people, all they need is like an amazing bar. They go out, you know, one or two times a week and, you know, they want the the cool cocktail, the Instagram, the view, the foie gras, whatever it is. That's enough for them. But you and me go out, you know, seven times a week, four weeks in a row. So we want the hospitality and we're we're critical about it. I've had some of the best hospitality I ever have had in, in Russia, which you wouldn't think. I've been to 12 cities across Russia and I'm very excited to go to India also for the first time mm. so yeah I 100% agree and I think you know that about me hospitality means the most um, you know I can get as good a drink at my bar as I can next door at uh, uh, at Cherry Tavern which is a dive bar in the East Village as I can next door further down the street at Death and Company right mm-hmm. it's all about how they're gonna receive me when I come in how they're gonna treat me while I'm there how they're gonna say goodnight to me when I leave like the, those things mean the most to me yeah, and I like finding new gems of bars. Like, there's Carl II's Omakase and Appreciate in Kuala Lumpur, which is an Omakase cocktail bar. And when I say it's hidden, it, 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 it's like the boiler room of this skyscraper. You really are down a dingy 
you know, stairway in this concrete underground space that looks where Batman beats up villains. You know, and you're going through an unmarked door and suddenly you're in this amazing bar and the hospitality is ridiculous. Last time I was there, Julio Bermejo was teaching a seminar. You know, it's crazy. So Wow. Yeah. In Kuala Lumpur. I know, right? Um, well, this has been a great chat. Uh, Philip, thanks for joining us here on the Speakeasy. Uh, where can people find you or reach out to you if they want to get a hold of some old Duff Geneber or if they just want to say hello to you, if they want to get into a, a healthy debate with you on Facebook? <laughs> Yeah, so I'm on, I'm on Facebook as Philip Duff, Twitter as Philip Duff, Instagram as Philip S. Duff, in each case with a single L in the Philip. Uh, you can get Old Duff Geneva online at Astro Wine of Spirits here in the USA, and you can find it in every good bar in New York and some of the nicest uh, dive your bars where bartenders drink. And in the UK, you can get it with specialty drinks and at the Whiskey Exchange, which serves the entire world. So And soon... Premiere. We are currently shipping pallets out to Singapore, Hong Kong, China, and Australia. So you'll be able to get it there as well. What's the verdict on these two? You got I'm, I'm really have you tried mine? I haven't, but I'm really loving the single malt with the smoke. Let's so this one that. with the orange. Clementines. That's bright and delightful, but I'm more into this yeah. kind of smoky vibe. No, I dig it. It's great. Yeah, good, good old fever tree. And thanks to um, Otto's Athens Vermouth for kindly giving me a bottle at a bar show a month or two ago. I can't even remember what bar show it is. But yeah, that's that's the house one of their Vermouth Bar in uh, Greece. Yeah, outstanding. Really good stuff. So uh, come on to New York City and check out Old Duff Geneva and tons of bars all over the city, including my bar, Dante. Uh, uh, I'm sure they have it over at the Dead Rabbit. So you've you've got some friends in this town, so they they carry your juice, and it's delicious juice. We're not just carrying it because you got a pretty face. Thank God. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, uh, thanks for joining us here on the Speakeasy, Philip. Uh, loved having you in, uh, and we look forward to having you listen to us. Uh, uh, stay listening to us uh, on the next episode. We'll see you soon, guys. Cheers. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Want more of the Speakeasy? Follow us and ask questions on Instagram at Speakeasy Podcast or on Twitter at Speakeasy Radio. You can find Damon at Damon Bolte, and you can find me at Creative Drunk on all platforms. Take a moment to write us a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite platform, and give us a star rating, five if possible. If you're visiting New York City or a resident, stop by the studio and hang out with us during an episode. Reach out beforehand to make sure we'll be here. We'd love to see you. And please support our show by visiting heritageradionetwork.org and clicking on the beating heart to donate. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends. And please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>